Well, good morning and happy new year. Are you excited about a new year rolling around? You know, I can't think of a better place to be on the last day of a year and looking forward to a new year than gathered together with other believers, studying God's Word together, worshiping together, and just praising Him and giving Him thanks for all the many blessings that He gives to us. Would you agree with that? It's a great time. And you know, New Year's is always an interesting thing, and uh, people get together, they have parties, it's a joyous time, and there's hope for the future. It seems like every year rolls around, you know, people have a new hope, uh, no matter how crazy the world is going. And some people take the time at the end of a year, and they reflect back on the last year, and they're able to see the things that they regretted, the mistakes that they made, uh, and They start making New Year's resolutions. I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to do this better. How many of you are into New Year's resolutions? Anybody? A few of you. Well, I got bad news for you. Uh, When you make a New Year's resolution, I think the average is that a New Year's resolution lasts about two weeks. Uh, So those of you that are saying, I'm going to lose weight this year. Well, do it in the first two weeks because after that it's done. Uh, whatever that New Year's resolution is. Well, I was thinking uh, this week, I thought, you know, I'm going to have a New Year's resolution. My New Year's resolution this year is going to be to uh, get a new watch, okay? Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the watch that I have on other than it's just a waste of time. Some of you will get that after you go home, um, Uh, Kind of a dad joke there, but I think it's a good way to end a year and start a new year with a bad joke, right? So, hey, glad that you are here today to worship with us, and hopefully you had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, Our family had a great Christmas, Lori and I, on Christmas night. After everybody left and went home, I just sat back and kicked back in the chair, and I said, you know, this has probably been one of the best Christmases that I can remember, and here's why. So, oh... Since we have been here over the last three years, all of our three kids have made their way here. So all of our kids are here, our grandkids are here, and my parents are here. And so last week after the service, the uh, Christmas Eve service, how many were, were here for that? Man, that was just a great day. But we were exhausted, so we had Christmas Eve night at my parents' house with all the food. We were up there, we played a few games. Then we all went to our own houses and slept. And then we got up the next morning and everybody came over to our house for breakfast after breakfast. Then we went over to my oldest daughter's house who has the grandkids. And that's where we opened up gifts and let the kids play with the gifts. And by the way, Lori and I found the greatest gifts for kids out there. We were walking through Sam's one day and there was a box, big box, and it had bumper cars in there. And I was like, we both looked at each other at the same time and it was like, yeah. We're doing this. So, well, we might want to check with mom first, which I did. I called Allison up and I said, hey, we found these bumper cars. This is going to be a good idea. Or I sent her a picture. And she's like, well, I guess. And we had already determined it didn't matter what mom said. They were getting these bumper cars. And I, I should have pulled up a picture. I've got pictures of the. It's great. We've got video. So uh, the bumper cars are for, uh, I think, ages one to four. And the kids are one and three. And so they were having a blast on these bumper cars. And uh, so, but for Tom and I, the adults in the room, we're looking at them. We're trying to figure out how to soup them up because they only go one mile an hour. And we're thinking if we could get them more sturdy, 
and we could get them to go faster, we could ride the bumper cars. Uh, we haven't figured that out yet, but that's a goal this year. We're, uh, if you're an engineer and you can help us with that, that would be awesome uh, because adult bumper cars would be so fun. And uh, you, you know, think about it. We could clear out the chairs in here after church, have adult bumper cars. Anyway, all right. So we had a great Christmas. Hopefully you did too. Well, as Shane said, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Um, as you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, I want to remind you that over the several weeks building up to Christmas, we were looking at different characters in the Christmas story that we read about in Scripture. And we were looking at their response to Christmas. And today I want to kind of continue with that as we look at some more characters that we see in the Christmas story and what happens after Christmas. And the title of today's message would be Responding to the King. And we see this in the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. Of how there was a response to the king after the birth of Jesus. So let's look together at this passage. We will pr pray after we read it. And then we will dive in and uh, tear this apart a little bit this morning. Beginning in verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem. And search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for meeting with us here. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray today as we dive into this passage of Scripture today, that each one of us would look at it with an open heart. That each one of us today would seek you above everything else, and we would allow you this opportunity to maybe show us something we haven't seen, or to show us what we need to hear, what we need to see today. And God, I pray that we would respond to you in whatever way that you lead us today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now we know that in this story... Jesus has been born. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We celebrated all that last week, the birth. And now it is after the birth of Jesus and these wise men show up 
And they come to see, to find this newborn king. Now, before we break this down and we look into it a little bit deeper, we need to really understand who the characters are that we see in this story. We need to understand a little bit about them, and it will help us to understand everything that is going on that we see. First of all, we see King Herod. Notice it says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, why would he mention that? What is important about the reign of King Herod? Who is this king that is called Herod? Well, King Herod, also known as Herod the Great, rose to power largely through his father's good relationship with the Roman general uh, Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar entrusted him to be over the area of Judea. And so that is how King Herod comes in to rule. That's how he gets his position is through his dad and the relationship that his dad had with Julius Caesar. And there's a few things that we know about King Herod. King Herod was known as a builder. He had some great building projects. And one of the great building projects that he did was he took the temple in Jerusalem and he expanded it. He made it bigger and he did work on the inside. They did a remodel job to make it more beautiful than ever. And it was a fascinating temple when he got done and they renamed the temple to uh, Herod's Temple. And Herod would be also given during his reign the title King of the Jews by the Roman Senate. Now he loved that title. He loved being called king of the Jews. As a matter of fact, he loved being in control. He loved being in charge. He loved being a ruler and a leader. Matter of fact, he loved it a little bit too much, as we will see in just a little bit. But Herod was given the title king of the Jews. Herod also had a dark side to him as well. You see, he had a little problem that if anybody was getting close to him and he thought they were somehow going to take over his leadership, his rule, then he would have them taken out. After the temple was remodeled and rebuilt, he had his brother, uh, the wife of his brother, his brother-in-law, put into place as high priest. And when he felt threatened by his brother-in-law, he had him drown in the swimming pool of his palace. He also put to death 46 members of the Sanhedrin. He had his mother-in-law killed. He had his wife and three sons killed as he considered their as potential rivals with a legitimate claim to his throne. Augustus Caesar said this, It is better to be Herod's dog than one of his children. He is definitely an interesting character in the story. Then after Herod, you have the wise men. We see that the wise men uh, traveled to come and find this newborn king. We don't know a whole lot about these particular wise men, but the history of wise men began centuries before the birth of Christ. You see, since the beginning of kingdoms and the beginning of kings and rulers, leaders have always placed around themselves ones that they could trust to be advisors, to be counsel to them as they have many decisions that they need to make. These advisors would consist of well-trained magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. If you go back and you study the book of Daniel, 
you will see that uh, Daniel, because of his faith and obedience to God, was elevated to a great position in the kingdom. And in Daniel, you'll see that in that position that he had, he was placed to be the leader over the wise men, also called the Magi. Now, Daniel, in his role of leadership, uh, continued to follow God and was close to God. And he was having visions of what was to come, of the coming Messiah. And as a matter of fact, he writes in chapter 9 of Daniel that Gabriel appears to him. And Gabriel explains to him what the timing is going to be of the coming of the Messiah. Now Daniel is in charge of all these wise men and he's taken that opportunity to train them up to follow his God and to train them up to know what God is up to and what God is doing. So where we don't know a whole lot about these guys, we know that the wise men over the years had been taught as they looked at what Daniel had said and they looked at other prophets that there was going to be the Messiah that was come was to come, and they would know when it was by the star that appeared. And so they had been seeking for what the prophets had taught about. And so now this star appears, and they are going to follow, and they are going to go find this king. And then you have what we see in this passage, religious leaders, the scribes and the chief priests. This was the religious group at that time. Who, who better to find out about the birth of Jesus than from the religious folks, right? And so the scribes and the Pharisees in ancient Israel, or the scribes in ancient Israel, were very educated people. They studied the law. They knew the law. And they would transcribe the law so that others could have written copies of it. And they would write commentaries on the law. And the scribes took their job very seriously in preserving Scripture as best they could. They wanted to make sure it was perfect. And here's how they would do it. So when they transcribed it, they would go through and they would count every character and every space to make sure it was exactly like the original was. They were meticulous about it. And so as they transcribed it, they, they would know it. They would know exactly what the law said. And they would be able to uh, give answer to the law. The chief priests were high-ranking members of the priesthood who served on the Sanhedrin court. They would have been the top religious leaders of their day. But most of them had a problem. The chief priests were willing to accommodate Roman power. They were willing to accommodate Greek culture so that they could remain in power and enjoy the wealth of it. So they had an issue. And these are the guys that Herod would bring together to find out what the Scripture says of this Christ, this newborn king that these magi, these wise men, have shown up that they're looking for. So hopefully you have somewhat of an understanding who the, the players are here, who the characters are in this story. And with that understanding, I want us now to kind of break it down. And I want us to see how each one of them responds. And as we look at how each one of them responds to this newborn king, I want us to ask ourselves the question this morning, how am I responding to this newborn king? How am I responding to this King Jesus? And at the end, what is 
my response to him today. So first of all, let's notice King Herod's response. King Herod's response was a response of resistance. Now these wise men, they show up and they ask Herod, hey, where's this one that's been born king of the Jews? Now this gets Herod's attention because remember, Herod has been given the title king of the Jews and he loves that title, right? And he, he's now being asked, where's this new one that's been born? The new king of the Jews. Well, Herod doesn't take this very well. Herod uh, begins to uh, wonder what's going on. He begins to uh, get upset about what's going on. And he wants to know everything that he can about where this child is to be born, what the, when it's going to be, how that all is going to happen. Now, remember whenever he suspected anyone of plotting to take over his rule, what did he do? He had them killed. I, he was that kind of guy. I mean, he's just going to, somebody else is going to step up, then I'll take them out. That was his thought. And so when Herod hears that these magi, these officials with power and influence, have made this long journey to Jerusalem to find this baby, this newborn king of the Jews, he becomes deeply disturbed. And that is a huge understatement. The word for disturbed literally means in turmoil or terrified. So he is greatly disturbed. He is actually terrified that there's someone that's going to come in and take over his rule, take over his authority, take over all that he has done, all that he has built. They're going to step in. And so now he is terrified. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just say that he was disturbed. It says, and the people with him were disturbed. Now I question that. The people of Jerusalem are disturbed now. And I thought, well, why would they get disturbed of the news of this baby? And so keep in mind that you have a ruler who is a crazy man. You have a ruler that when he gets upset, he takes it out on somebody. And so as I began to look at this, I don't think that they were disturbed at the question. I don't think they were disturbed necessarily that there's a baby that's been born and all that. I think they're probably disturbed with him because now they're going, what is he going to do? This dude is crazy. He's going to do something stupid. I'm glad today we don't have leaders that do stupid stuff, right? <laughs> but you can imagine while they were. You have a tyrant for a king, and now he's upset. Now he's disturbed. Something is going to happen. Somebody's head is going to roll. Something is going to take place. So then Herod calls in the wise men and he begins to question them, when did you first see the star? What is going on? Well, by this time he found out that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. So he tells the guys, y'all go to Bethlehem. And when y'all find him, let me know. Because I want to come worship him. Well, we know that is not the truth. There is no way that Herod would ever bow down and worship another king. He had way too much pride. He had way too much uh, high thoughts of himself. But he was also always worried that somebody was going to step in and take his place. And he calls in the religious leaders and he says, tell me about the prophecy about the coming ruler. This one that is to come. Now, I find this fascinating because Herod calls these guys in and when they come in, they tell him what's going to happen. And now he's got a choice to make. 
if he believes them that God is sending in a ruler and he's going to try to have this ruler taken out, well, that's pretty brave, isn't it? I'm going to go against God himself. Or he doesn't believe the story. But if he doesn't believe the story, as you continue to read on in Matthew, you'll see that he did believe the story. Because he orders all the children, two years old and younger, male children, to be killed in that area. So he believed it. So what was he thinking when he tells these magi, these wise men, you let me know where he's at. He was thinking he was going to take care of business, but he wasn't concerned about God being involved in that at all. And he was resistant to the news of this newborn king. But then you have the religious leaders. And their response was indifference. These religious leaders rightfully reference the 700-year-old prophecy of Micah, which was directly fulfilled by Jesus. I want you to see this. Look back at at verses 5 and 6. They tell him he's going to be born in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So they tell the king, here's what the prophet says. These are the religious leaders, right? They should know what the prophet said, and they did know. And they were in unity together. They tell the king, here's what's going on. But there's a problem. We don't see them mentioned again here. We don't see anything else about them. So we must assume that after they tell the king this, they just go on about their business. They just go on about their daily routine. Whatever it is that they were doing, they just go back to doing that. And I find that very odd because here's men who know what the prophets say. They know what Scripture says, that there is a coming king. But apparently they're not impressed. Apparently they're not excited about it. And as I began to study this, and I thought, well, why would they not be happy about this? Why would they not be excited about this? And then I remembered, we saw this a couple weeks ago, that during this season, there's a 400-year drought of God speaking. So they haven't heard God speak in 400 years. So it could be that, that during this season, during that time, that they're just not expecting God to do anything. Have you had those quiet times in your life where you don't see God's hand moving? You don't even know that God is listening to you and and you wonder, is he ever going to do anything? It could have been something like that. It just could have been that they were satisfied where they were. We know that there's a coming king, but we're happy with things the way they are. We're comfortable with things the way they are. Whatever it is, we don't know what was going through their mind, but we know what they did not do or it would be recorded for us. They did not go to the magi, the wise men, and say, you're telling us this prophecy that we have known about, we've been expecting, where are you going? Let us go with you. We too want to see the Savior of the world that's been born. That would have been a great response, wouldn't it? And I would hope if I was in their shoes, that would have been my response. Or at least they would have got done with the king, and they would have gathered together and said, all right, We know this. We just shared it with him. We've been reading this. We've been expecting this. Let's go find out for ourselves. Why would you not want to go find out if at least this is true? Again, I can't answer that for them. But I wonder how many times in our lives we are indifferent to the work that God is doing around us. 
like them. Sometimes we're, we're just not expecting it. I mean, God will do that for somebody else, but will he really do that for me? Maybe they saw King Herod's response. Maybe they saw something in him. Maybe they were terrified. Maybe they thought, well, if we go find this king, then uh, Herod's going to take us out. Remember, they all know Herod's a crazy man. Maybe it was fear. I don't know what it was, but how many times does that happen in our life? How many times do we get comfortable where we are in our relationship with God? We're satisfied right where we're at, God. I don't need more. I don't need less. I'm just happy right where I'm at in my relationship with you. Can I tell you that is a bad place to be? Matter of fact, Scripture talks about that, and that's talking about a lukewarm Christian. Somebody who we know but we're not always impressed. Now, we wouldn't say that out loud, right? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say, you know, I, I know God's up to something. I'm just not impressed. Or I, I, I'm just not excited about it. God is at work around us, folks, in amazing ways. Even in the chaos of the world. We look at all the chaos that's going in the world, and it seems like it's getting worse and worse every day, more chaotic. Can I tell you this? In the chaos, God is still at work. In the good times, God is still at work. God is doing amazing things. And sometimes we sit back and we may feel like we're in that 400-year time period where God's not speaking. But can I tell you this? Even when we don't hear His voice, even when we don't feel like anything is happening, we can trust Him that it is. And I look back at the story and I say, what a sad place to be. That these guys know, but they are not trusting what God is up to. They're not ready for it. Here's the difference between them and the wise men that we're going to see here in just a second. They weren't seeking what God was up to. Can I challenge you this this year as we close out one year? We can look back at our walk with Christ and, and it may be great. And you may have some things that you look back going, well, I wish I would have done this different. The greatest thing you can do is seek Him. Seek Him. These guys missed it for whatever reason, but I'm going to say they weren't seeking Him at that point. And then, thirdly, you have the wise men. The wise men, and we see uh, the response that they had. The wise men, we don't have much information about. Again, we don't know much about them. Uh, how many of you have uh, a Christmas nativity scene that you put out every year? How many of you in that Christmas nativity scene have the wise men that show up? Part of the Christmas nativity, right? I got some bad news for you. What you see in the Christmas nativity scene is not actually correct, okay? So first of all, uh, we don't know how many of them that there were. The tradition of the three wise men come through the three gifts that are mentioned, okay? Now, the, these wise men probably would not have shown up riding on camels, okay? They would have had an entourage of people with them. They would have had a lot of stuff with them. And that stuff would have been on the camels probably, camels using that to haul everything that they needed. The gifts may have been on the camels, but the wise men who were actually, they're, they're not kings, but they are up high in leadership, would have been probably riding on stallions coming in because of who they were, because of the authority that they had. 
We also don't know exactly when these men arrived. It would have most likely been 45 days up to two years. The reason we say up to two years is because Herod was going to have every boy under two years old killed. So it would have been in that time frame somewhere. We don't know exactly what the time frame was, but we do know this. Jesus was no longer in the manger. Now, got a pastor that we had in, in Dallas, and uh, he would say this, that when they put out the nativity scene, him and his wife will have an argument because he will not let her put the wise men by the manger because it's not scripturally correct. They did not show up at the manger. I don't say you have to go to that extent. You just need to know that these guys were there a little bit later. It's after the birth when they show up. And so notice that it says that a star led them to Jesus. Now, this is no ordinary star. This star leads them to Jesus, and not only leading them to Jesus, but it stops directly above the house where Jesus was. And this is a miraculous star for a miraculous event that would change the world forever. So what was their response? Well, their response was to worship. Notice that Matthew says that when the star was there in front of them, they were filled with joy. We talked about this last week, right? Christmas the whole Christmas story is all about joy, but can I tell you that the joy of Christmas does not end on Christmas Day. The joy of Christmas continues on even way beyond Christmas. And so these guys show up, the star is there, they are filled with joy, and it says they go into the house where Jesus was, they see Jesus with his mother Mary. Now that's an important statement, the way that that is worded. It doesn't say they see Mary with her child, Jesus says they see Jesus with his mother Mary and they bow down and they worship him. Notice that when they show up to King Herod, they probably knew about King Herod. They probably heard stories of King Herod. But when they show up to King Herod, they do not bow down and worship King Herod. As a matter of fact, I would go as far to say they're probably not impressed with King Herod. And notice that when they go into the house, it does not say that they see Mary and they see Joseph and they bow down and they worship them. It says when they show up into the house, they see this baby named Jesus and they bow down and they worship Him. And that is a great reminder to us today that it is Jesus Christ and Him alone who is worthy of all of our worship. There's not a king out there that is alive today other than King Jesus. There's not a king that has ever lived or ever will live that is worthy of our worship. There is not another human being that is worthy of our worship. It is only King Jesus that is worthy of the worship. And these wise men, they show up and they bow down and they worship Him. King Herod did not go and bow down and worship the religious leaders did not go and bow down and worship. For whatever reason, they did not go. Now we know that King Herod didn't go because of his pride and all that. The religious leaders were uncertain of. But we know that they did not choose to go and find this king and to worship him. But it's a huge reminder to us today that one day, King Herod will worship King Jesus. It is a well-known fact, if you read through Scripture, that one day... Every religious leader out there that thinks their religion is good enough is going to bow down and worship Jesus. 
As a matter of fact, every person will eventually bow down and worship Jesus when we recognize who He is. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore, God has also highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They came to worship Him. And there's a day coming where everyone will worship this King. Oh, you may reject Him today, but there will be a day when you will have to say, truly, He is King. But on this encounter that Matthew shares with us, we see that these wise men not only worship, but they are overwhelmed with awe and reverence as they bow down and they worship and they present Him with the great treasure. Can I tell you this? The great treasure, when you look at that, they were just giving their best to Jesus. And He deserves our best today. Just as He did then, He still deserves our best today. Last thing I want us to consider today is this. The wise men had an invitation to come and to see. That invitation we see all throughout Scripture. God gives us an invitation to come and to see. Remember the shepherds in the field. Come and see. They had an invitation. And so God's invitation to each one of us today is to come and to see. This invitation came to the wise men as they saw the star. And they chose to follow the star to go and see what God was doing. But I believe that day, Herod had an invitation to come as well. When the wise men showed up and said, where is this king that's been born king of the Jews? And he brought the religious leaders in and he was told the story of the Messiah that would come. That was his invitation to come and to see, which he rejected. To the religious leaders who should have been looking with anticipation for this day, when, when they hear that these wise men are searching and they have seen a star and that God is up to something, it was their invitation to come and to see. I love the story that we see in John, John chapter 1. You have John the Baptist. Remember that John the Baptist, mother was Elizabeth, and when Mary knew that she was pregnant and she told Elizabeth the baby jumped in the womb. Well, that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, he's out telling people that the Messiah is coming. He's got a couple of the disciples, of his disciples, with him. And Jesus walks by. And he looks and he sees Jesus and he points to Jesus and he says, there he is, the Lamb of God. That's him. That is him. That's the one I've been telling you about. And it says that the two disciples started following Jesus. And Jesus knows that they're following Him, so Jesus stops and He turns around and He says, what do you want? <laughs> what a question. What do you want? Why are you following me? What do you want? And I love the response, but before we get to that, let me ask you, if, if Jesus were in front of you today and He looked at you and said, what do you want? What would your response be? Now I'm thinking that, well, you know, nice new truck would be nice. Or, uh, you know, I, I'd really like for my knees and my back to quit hurting and uh, to feel young again. Um, or how about this? We've got a big lottery going on. People are talking about, ah, I'd love to win that huge lottery. I mean, Jesus turned around saying, what do you want? Well, let's tell him what we want, right? 
But their response is interesting because they look at him and they say, Where are you sleeping? Where are you sleeping? Now, what kind of question is that? Now, keep in mind, Jesus knew what they were up to. It's not a surprise to him, but he asked them the question to get them thinking. So where are you sleeping? And Jesus' response to them was, come and see. The reason that they said that was they weren't looking at Jesus as what they could get out of him. But they were looking for, at Jesus so they could be with him. And the scripture goes on to tell us that they went with Jesus and they hung out with Jesus. They spent time with him. And when we have an invitation to come and see, that's what it is. Come and see. Don't, don't come with expectation. If I come to Jesus, he's going to do this, this, and this. No, come to Jesus and hang out with him. Hang out with him. And you will see who he is. And you will see what he has done for you. Come and see. Now, I don't know where you find yourself today as you think about these different things. For, for some, maybe, maybe you've been resisting. Maybe you've been rejecting. Maybe you've been holding back. Can I tell you today, the invitation is to come and see. Come and hang out with Him. Say yes to Him today. Say yes to Him today. As you begin a new year, what a better way to begin than with a relationship with the Lord and Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. No better way to start a new year. So today I challenge you, if God's speaking to your heart, you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, come and see. Just come and see. Get to know Him. Maybe for some today, you, you may be like these religious leaders. You've been complacent, everything's been going good, whatever. Um, and, and you know that God's up to something, but you just haven't really been engaged with that, haven't been excited about that. The challenge for you today come and see come and see draw closer to him and come and see what he's up to for some you may be like the wise man man you're excited you're looking you're seeking you're worshiping challenge to you is to come and see continue to get closer continue to bow down before him come and see who this jesus is Come and see Him. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. And I want you just to spend some time with God right where you're at. To examine yourself today. And where am I? How am I responding to this King? And today if God is speaking to your heart, and there's a decision you're ready to make for Him, can I just encourage you, don't put it off. Don't wait any longer. Whatever God is asking you to do today, respond to Him. And in just a moment when we dismiss today, if God's drawing you to Himself and you're ready to say yes to Him for salvation, you would like to talk with somebody about that, we're going to hang around after the service, Pastor Shane and I. We'd love to visit with you about that. Or any other decision that you may need to make. But what is your response? today to the king father i thank you today again for your word thank you for using your word to speak to our hearts and our lives 
God, I pray that today that you would just continue. Your spirit would draw us closer to you. God, wherever we're at in that relationship, whether we're like King Herod and we're resisting or we're like the wise men and we're worshiping and we're enjoying all that we can, God, I pray that you would just help each one of us to draw closer to you today. God, I pray that our hearts would be sensitive towards you. Whatever way you want us to move, whatever way you need us to go, that God, we would follow you with our whole heart. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for giving us your son, whose birth we celebrated last week and whose birth we continue to celebrate. God, thank you that he was willing to lay down his life for us so that our relationship with you could be restored and we could be called your children. God, we thank you for all that you do. And I pray that right now in in the noisiness of this world, in the chaos of this world, God, your light would just continue to shine bright. God, we would see your hand moving and that we would join you in what you're doing. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.